Hello, I am That Wings Guy, back for here, yet another episode. We continue to roll right along here. Uh, please forgive me if I seem a bit parched tonight. My air conditioner went out on the hottest day of the year so far in the state of Georgia. I've gotten it back home, but I'm in the hottest part of the house and it's still not cooled back down. So plenty of water and lots of sweat tonight, probably. Uh, joining us from a very cool location is Mr. Steve Hendricks. How are you, sir? Um, I'm awesome. Thanks for having me uh chance to visit with you lee well thank you for coming on and thank you for to freddie bliss for setting this up absolutely all right sir if you would uh introduce yourself to the audience and tell them what they need to know about you all right so relative to you know our topic um firearms firearms training um i am a retired sheriff's deputy retired out of colorado um i'm also a retired um overseas okona security contractor and um was a aspiring martial artist as as a young man. So I started teaching and working in combatives as a teenager, and it just kind of evolved into um, my current profession. Um, I was that little kid, you know, that little eight-year-old when you said, hey, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, man, I want to be a policeman. And <clears throat> I got a little sidetracked because I got into martial arts and ran my own dojos for a while. And then eventually put myself through police academy. I uh, got hired in Northern California, of all places, California, uh, before moving to Colorado and retiring out here. Um, I did um, work as a contractor stateside for the Department of Energy, as a full time firearms instructor for um, what they called at that time the Central Training Academy. And I believe they have renamed it, um, I don't recall what it is, but that was the central location where DOE personnel went to get certified as uh, SWAT officers, basic police officers, firearms instructors. And so I was um, the lead for the firearms instructor certification program that we had out there. Uh, spent the better part of seven years contracting in Afghanistan. A, a portion of that was training both Afghans and US personnel. And then my last great adventure over there was working as part of the U.S. Ambassador's Protection Detail in um, Kabul. So for those of you that have never been to Afghanistan, and if you get the chance to go, don't. <laughs> um, just trust me when I tell you it's not a great place to go. Yeah, I have some friends that went over and they said we bombed it up to the 13th century. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> All right. uh, did I understand that you actually were a sheriff deputy in Colorado as well as California? Correct. San Miguel, San Miguel County is a, it's kind of, kind of think four corners. We're not quite in the four corners, but Telluride, Colorado is our, our most famous feature in San Miguel County. Um, so I worked as a sheriff's deputy there. Uh, I, one of my trips to, to Colorado has been to Park County uh, up around Fair Play. And I had the pleasure of meeting the sheriff there. And if you weren't certain that he was the sheriff, he had sheriff tattooed on his forearm to, <laughs> to make it certain that you understood. And, yeah. and I guess one of the differences between being a deputy in that area and where I work is we may have four deputies covering the county at one given time, but our county is 186 square miles. His county was bigger than the state of Rhode Island and he had yeah. four deputies covering it. Yeah, no, they're, they're big counties. Yeah. Um, it was not uncommon for me to show up to work and be the only deputy for the whole county. Um, you, you, you just, you make adjustments to your, uh, 
tactics and procedures and um, you get real good at your verbal judo, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you, know, you just kind of, kind of move forward, march on. Get dispatched to a domestic and it takes you an hour and a half to get there and everybody's passed out by the time you arrive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could be true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So at some point in time, you establish a relationship with Gunsight. <clears throat> Tell us about that. Well, when I put myself through uh, police academy, um, I had very little uh, firearms training. They, they have a uh, what they call the 832 program in California. And 832 is the penal code section that authorized peace officer powers. So basically it was a reserve program. So I was going through to get certified as a reserve officer. And then I uh, started working a reserve, put myself through the academy. Well, the firearms instructor, the lead for that, um, my mentor, Bill Jeans, was a range master at Gunsight at the time and a sergeant at the Clovis, California Police Department. Um, I was not a big gun guy. I had not heard a lot about guns or people or Colonel Cooper or any of that mm-hmm. until um, I met Bill. Well, the one thing about Bill is he was the absolute, absolute epitome of what a professional firearms instructor should be. I mean, he looked professionally, talked professionally, he performed, he, I mean, he was just everything. I was just in awe of this guy. And so when he talked about being an instructor at Gunsight, I said, well, I got to go. You know, if, if they made him this good, then that's where I have to go. So I started saving my pennies. As you know, as a, a young cop, you don't have very many pennies. And at that time, the tuition for the class was $600. It was a five and a half day class. Uh-huh. And um, so I scrounged that money together and I camped in the campground. And I barbecued my own dinners. I mean, I didn't have any money. Well, when I showed up for class, um, it's about a day's drive. I showed up so early that I, I couldn't go to Gunsight yet. I was so eager to get there. And when I showed up, Bill Jeans was, had transitioned from being the sergeant in Clovis to being the operations manager at Gunsight between the time I went through academy and went there. Uh-huh. And he, again, was my, my range master. Now, it turns out the firearms class that we did at my basic academy was it would be the equivalent of what we would call a 150 now, which is basically um, our 250 class without simulators involved. So I, I got all the Gunsight Foundation and doctrine and stuff, and then I got it again. And so I was so excited, you know, it was such a great place to be, the atmosphere, um, you know, just it's the goosebumps on your arms and the hair on the back of your neck, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was already trying to figure out how to, I could get back. Well, they had a what they called a provost class. And what that was, was an instructor class. It was a week long, but it was only $400. I said, well, I I can scrounge 400 pennies a lot faster than I can get 600. So um, I signed up for the class. And what that class was at that time was, it was basically a certification. So you came through, you had to have a, a 250 class prerequisite And then they're going to make sure you knew how to teach the doctrine. Then basically they're going to bless you. They're going to give you a little card and you get to go forth in the world and teach the modern technique of the pistol. And they were very clear to tell you that this is not the road to becoming an instructor at gunsight. That's not, this is not that path. Although remarkably, a lot of the guys in that class became gunsight instructors. 
So I had my uh, 250 class, my provost class, and one of the requirements to complete the provost is you had to come back twice and coach, and you paid your own way. So you know, it didn't cost you anything above the 400 you paid for the tuition, but you, once again, I camped, barbecued my own food, off you went. I got done with that two weeks. <clears throat> And shortly thereafter, I got a letter from Colonel Cooper uh, inviting me to come on staff. I, I was, you know, I was at home alone and I'm looking around. I, I want to be jumping up and down and I want people to see me, right? There's nobody there to witness my excitement. I mean, it was, it was really cool. But what I realized that is that technically, I did not meet the minimum requirements to be an instructor at Gunsight. So back then you had to have at least two pistol classes. So you had to have 250. Now, if you did well enough in 250, you could skip 350 and go right to 499, okay? So you basically had to have 250 and 499, and then you had to have an other weapon system. Well, Colonel Cooper was known for his pistol and his general rifle. And so that was my goal was to go get, take classes from him in, in those two disciplines. But since I didn't meet the minimum requirements, I had to hurry and take 499 class. And for my other, because I was um, fully employed as a law enforcement officer, I chose shotgun. Uh -huh. I felt it was the most applicable to what I was doing at that time. And so I hurried and got those classes before my first teaching assignment, because I didn't want to show up with these instructors who I admired <laughs> and was in so much awe and have them start asking me and go, no, I, I've never taken that class. And uh, next thing you know, they're gonna look at me and go, well, who's this guy, you know? Yeah. So um, I got all those done, but before I could get the general rifle from um, Colonel Cooper, he had his um, falling out with Rich G who was the new owner. And so I was, I was kind of a little crestfallen there that I wasn't gonna get that certificate um, but, you know, I was off on my, my career as a, uh, a gunsight instructor, and I was, I was thrilled. I still get the same excitement today when I drive through the gate and see that big raven. Um, and that's uh, 32 years ago that, that I started that journey. So it's still an exciting place. <clears throat> and I did manage a, kind of a caveat. So Colonel Cooper, after he left gunsight, started teaching classes at the NRA Whittington Center um, just outside Raton, New Mexico. Uh -huh. And they put on a 270 general rifle class. So I grabbed my buddy and we signed up and, and went and took the class. And so I've got my 270 certificate with his signature on it. It just, it just doesn't say gun sight, you know, um, but it's still very, very cool and very dear to me because that's, like I said, that was, that was his two things. He talked about the other weapons, weapon systems, the shotguns and their, carbines and your precision rifles but um those were not his love you know his his handguns and his general rifle were were his thing that's been uh been an adventure so i um the last couple of years because covid and stuff my attendance has been down i haven't taught as much uh, there was a period there where i was teaching 20 classes a year um, most of that was because uh, I was available. Uh -huh. so any, anytime they had something come up, they would call me. So I teach all the pistol classes, all the shotgun classes, all the carbine classes, general rifle. Um, 
some of the intermediate force. Um, I don't do the precision rifle stuff. Um, I, I don't have that kind of patience. I can shoot them okay. I just, <laughs> you know, not my thing. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where that went with uh, with Gunsight, and I'm proud to still be affiliated with them. Um, I tell people today, and it's a little self-serving to say this, but we've got the best instructors in the world out there. Um, I thought it then when they offered me the job, and, and I still believe it today. Those guys um, impress the heck out of me every time I get on the range to coach with one of them or teach with one of them. Their depth of knowledge and their professionalism is um, can't be outdone. All right. Well, tell me something that you picked up and learned from Bill Jeans that you still teach today. Man. You know, I, I just, <laughs> I've used him so many times as an example. When I, when I did my instructor class for DOE, you had to pick somebody and talk about them for, you know, 10 minutes. And I, as far as professionalism goes, Bill is it. And so I, I, that's the one thing I just try to remember how professional he was in every aspect of what he did. So when he talked to you, he didn't talk down to you, he didn't talk over you. Um, when you showed up on range, his shirt had creases in it, his jeans were clean, you know, his leather was squared away. I mean, just, he just, I mean, he looked like, like an instructor should look, you know? If he modeled something, um, a presentation or a mag change, it was technically proficient. I mean, I just try to, that's the one thing I try to do as best I can to honor him as uh, my mentor at Gunsight. All right. Any personal anecdote about him that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. So Bill calls me, uh, you know, he claims me as one of his, right? And he says, I'm the one guy who couldn't keep a job. <laughs> and so when he met me, I was working in Mariposa at the Sheriff's Department. When I got to Gunsight for the class, I had lateral to Colorado and worked for the Marshal's Department. Um, and then I moved again from there to the Sheriff's Department. So he always claimed that I couldn't hold down a job, you know? And he'd, he'd laugh and, you know, give me a big hug. I, he never stopped claiming me as, as his, but he teased me about not being able to hold a job. So he was, he's a great guy. Uh -huh. uh, any personal anecdotes about Colonel Cooper you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I got a couple great ones. <clears throat> so I was, I was awed by Colonel Cooper, just like most people are. Mm -hmm. And so we had this, and I don't know if anybody's ever shared this with you, but they have this phenomenon, they call it tricyclophobia. Okay. And so Colonel Cooper and a bunch of the staff, they ran around the ranch on these Honda three-wheelers. And so Colonel Cooper wasn't there all day, every day. He'd come teach portions and he'd, he'd do all the lectures and stuff. But you'd hear him coming on that, that trike. And all of a sudden, people would start getting tense. And people that were shooting good would, couldn't hit nothing, you know. The range masters would roll their eyes because they would have us on a kind of a rhythm, right? We were on a roll. And mm -hmm. when Colonel Cooper showed up, we did what he wanted to do. No matter where we were at in the program, if he wanted to see you do pairs at five, then he'd get you up on five and do pairs, you know. If he wanted to see you do mag changes at 10 or whatever, we, we went to what he was going to do. So there was angst from everybody when they, when they heard the, the three-wheelers rolling up. 
And so um, I didn't, at least I don't think I, I got as nervous about that as, as other people did, but he showed up one time and almost always he had Ranger, which was his dog with him. Now, if Ranger wasn't riding on the rack in the back, he'd be running alongside. I mean, they, they just, you didn't see Colonel Cooper on that three-wheeler without Ranger being somewhere close by. So they'd show up, visit Ranger, Ranger would go around, get pets from everybody. Most people were just interested in Gavin with him, but sooner or later, he'd get us back on track and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> uh, back then in my 250, we shot 25-yard prone shots. And at that time, it looked like forever to me. I thought it, you know, we should be using rifles, right? And so, you know, we get on the line, ready, set, go. I go down and um, shooting a 1911-45, of course. And I'm as rock steady as could be. And I pressed three really great shots, you know. I said, man, those are going to be good. So I get up and walk down there. And I'm about two-thirds of the way down the line. And you could cover my three shots with a cord but they are about a foot right and about a foot low. And so I'm standing there looking at these, wondering how I could make the same error so close that you could shoot such a tight group, but be so far away from center. <laughs> Colonel Cooper walks up and he looks at it. He goes, hmm, very ornamental. And he walks away. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, well, did he just compliment me or insult me? <laughs> <laughs> what did he mean by that of course now i know what he meant by that right but yeah. at the time I, I had never had any conversations with him or anything and it was very conversational the way he said it there was no real inflection of like you're screwing up or anything hmm very ornamental <laughs> and off he went uh, so that was that was uh it's comical now comical. well explain to the audience what he meant by ornamental well Quite simply, it, it looked pretty, but was not worth much. You know, I mean, three, three 45 shots from 25 yards prone touching each other looks great. But, you know, we're, we're even in a target community, it wouldn't be any good because it wasn't in the center mm -hmm. of the target. So, yeah, he was telling me that, yeah, it looks pretty, but uh, pretty much useless. <laughs> uh, uh, so. And I was, I was, uh, like I said, I was, I was enough intimidated by him that I didn't ask him what he meant. I, you know, I'll, I'll get one of the coaches to tell me what it means. <laughs> you know, yeah. Any other uh, good Cooper stories you'd be willing to share? Yeah, there's some general ones. You know, he'd be walking yeah. anytime he showed up. If the uh, range masters were already running a drill, then he'd go up and read the targets, or he'd run it. But he always read the targets. He never had you shoot and just walked away. And he'd walk up to a target and he would tell you that you have this shooting error. Okay? As an example, he may say, um, you're jerking the trigger. And then he'd turn around and look at you and say, stop that. And then he'd move right on. And he'd expect you to know <laughs> what it took to stop doing that. He'd say, I've told you what you're doing. Stop doing it. And off he would go. And that's just, that's as much the way he was. Thank goodness the coaches and the range masters spent more time helping you understand what that meant, but he was very, he was very literal guy. And um, I think to a certain degree that he figured that if he knew what it meant, you should know what it meant. So you need to be verbose about it. You're doing this wrong, quit doing that. And off he would go. <laughs> so um, yeah, he was, he was entertaining that way. 
I'll share one more and we may come back, but so we're at the Whitting Center, Whittington Center doing the uh, 270 General Rifle. And I, I just, my partner and I, we just had these custom scout rifles built, okay? Mm -hmm. Custom stock, custom Seiko action, the barrels are custom, custom. I mean, these are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things when you went to the rifle class, you had to bring a piece of carpet that you could lay on when you're shooting prone and stuff. So when he'd call powwow, he'd tell you, just ground your rifle on your carpet and come on back here. So we laid our rifles down and the actions are open and we're walking back to this little huddle. When I hear this noise and I turn around and here's this huge dust devil. It goes right through the two brand new custom scout rifles, mine and my buddies, picks them and the carpets up and tosses them 15 feet in the air. I'm not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating by an inch. Boom, off these two rifles go. And of course, they come clattering down, gravity being what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Well, me, now I'm, I, I don't, I'm not really interested in what Colonel Cooper has to say. <laughs> so I want to go over and check on this. You know, at the time, uh -huh. I think it cost me a couple thousand dollars, right? Yeah. And, and he's mad at me because I won't leave the rifles alone and, and come back over and listen to what he's got to say. But this dust devil, I mean, it was just launched him straight in the air. And uh, he got her over it. I got over it. We finished the class, had a great time. Okay. Uh, I, I, since he's been on twice, I got to ask if you have any good Jerry McCallum stories. Um, Jerry is, yeah, Jerry is a, I would not play poker with Jerry. Right. He goes around, he's just very unassuming, very quiet, but man, has he got a depth of knowledge. It's just incredible. When he starts teaching, you start realizing, wow, this guy knows stuff, you know? Well, one of the things when you're the range master at gunsight for, for that particular week, your job is not to set the range. You're, you manage mm -hmm. everything else. So your coach's job is to get there early and set up the range. So it's all set. When the range master shows up, gets a student, he's just got to go to work. So Jerry was a range master. I was a coach and I show up one morning and Jerry's already there setting the range. And I went, Oh crap. You know, so I go help him. He doesn't say anything to me, but I, you know, I'm not a terribly slow learner. I go tomorrow. I got to get up earlier. So the next day I get up earlier and I get there and I'm the first one there. So I'm setting the range up and Jerry shows up and he's mad at me because I'm setting up the range. Not mad. He's just a little, mm -hmm. I go, well, Jerry, it's my job. And he says, look, Steve, this is my quiet time. He says, I put a book on tape and I set the range. I listen to my book. He says, please let me do the range setup. And I'm looking at him like, is he messing with me? Because none of my other range masters ever did that. Uh -huh. And so I just confirmed with him, are, are you sure? Yeah. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, so he's, he's got his little routine and um, I respect that. Uh, but it really kind of took me aback. Um, I, you know, from day one, when they, when I was uh, going through the provost, so they told me you, you cannot be second on the range. If you're not the first one there setting up, you're late. Okay. You know? And so I've always took that to heart. And even today, if, if we are working together, I look to see what that relationship is. Are you the range master? I'm the coach or whatever the case may be. Um, because I, I definitely don't want to offend him. He's a, he's a talented guy. And I mentioned to you in the, in the pre- so while we were talking that, so I've been an instructor 32 years at Gunsight. And imagine with 30 years, 32 years of tenure, showing up to teach a class with two other Gunsight instructors and being the most junior instructor on the ranch. 
So it happened to be Jerry McGowan, who's our most senior guy, and Mario Marchman, who's if he's not our second most, he's pretty darn close. And um, that class right there, which has been a couple of years ago, is another reason why I'm not shy about saying we got the best instructors in the world. Um, those guys, I've been I've been doing it there myself for a long time, and and they continue to impress. So yeah, those are my two Jerry stories. There's not many places you can be where 30 plus years or the junior guy. No, right. <laughs> I mean, you would expect that you could show up and have somebody more senior than you, but surely you're going to have more seniority than somebody else. Um, but not in that case. All right. Could, could you share any stories or give some insight to the Department of Energy Firearms Training? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I was at a the uh, SOF three-gun match, and I was talking to some buddies of mine. And a friend of mine was a head armorer for Sandia National Laboratories for DOE. And he goes, hey, Steve, we're hiring for instructors. If, if you're interested, put in your application. And I said, yeah. Well, another one of my guys who's also a gunsight instructor was uh, the lead guy at the Central Training Academy. He goes, Steve, I didn't know you were looking. Apply with us. And I said, okay. So I applied for both positions. Sandia National Laboratories turned me down because I didn't have the credentials, the, the DOE certifications to teach for DOE. Then Central Training Academy hired me and promptly sent me up there to teach those guys how to be firearms instructors. <laughs> so that's the government for you, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so um, the Department of Energy handles... Um, strategic assets. And you have to have a certain level of clearance to, to talk about them, to be around them or whatever. So once again, I couldn't train the couriers because I didn't have the clearance. But we did a work for others project with the Air Force where I could go teach them what our couriers did. So once again, I'm, I don't have enough clearance to talk to our guys about it, but I can go talk to other people about it. That's, <laughs> that's typical uh, government. But it was a great... Uh, great job. When I got there, and I don't know how long the firearms instructor certification program had existed in its current state, but basically when I got there it was a three-week shooting course, and there was really nothing about instructor development. Um, they didn't help you become a better instructor, and if you weren't a good instructor when you got there, you weren't going to be one when you left. Mm -hmm. And so when they put me in charge of the firearms instructor certification, I said, we got to change this. And there is a prerequisite of basic instructor training, what they call BIT, that the Department of Energy does, has nothing to do with firearms, has everything to do with just basic instructor, awesome class. Well, in too many cases, they were waiving it for people to get into the firearms class with the promise that they would go back and take it later. And so I stopped that immediately and said, if you don't have BIT, you can't attend. And um, <clears throat> we completely restructured the class and made it about being a good firearms instructor. Now it was still three weeks, so we had plenty of opportunity to make you a better shooter as well. Um, but we really changed and focused a lot on teachbacks and and developing those skills so that when they're on the range, they're not there just parroting information that they have no idea what it means. That when they see a, a student make a mistake, that they have a chance of recognizing the error and, and applying the 
the appropriate correction to it. Um, so it was a great um, job. I'd probably go back and do it today um, if they offered it to me, it was that good a job. Um, but one of the things when they hired me, as they said, we, we want you because you're not from part of the system here. We want your outside experience and input and stuff. And um, Gunsight had a huge influence in Department of Energy's training uh-huh. years before. But it had, it had um, metastasized to something that didn't really resemble what Gunsight was doing. And so somebody would say, hey, look, you know, this is this. And I go, well, what stance are you shooting? They go, that's a weaver stance. I go, well, that's not a weaver stance. Now, you can shoot from whatever you're shooting, but don't call that a weaver stance. That's not what that is. And so that was an uphill battle um, as well. But it, it, it kind of balanced out because they said, hey, here's the instructor ammo locker. You can shoot as much as you want. And so I, I tested that theory. And, you know, every Monday I check out a couple thousand rounds of ammunition. I go to the range and shoot it all week long. Mm-hmm. And no one ever once said, Steve, why are you checking that ammo out? Or what are you doing with that ammo? Yeah. Um, Man, I shot a lot, so I could put up with a little bit. There you go. Um, yeah, the DOE program has had some pretty serious heavy hitters come through there, teaching Man. their program. Is kind. Of, I know a lot of the LA uh, PD uh, Metro Division guys have been there as instructors. Yep, some some real big time names. If you're familiar with those guys, um, you know Larry Mudgett, um, mm-hmm. Helms. Um, Wickert, um, oh, geez, I mean, um, Rush Showers, or there's just a ton of guys wow. that, that are came through that affiliation. And they did a great job with the program. It just, it just got, it's like that kid's game where you whisper, whisper apple mm-hmm. and it comes out banana, right? It just got yeah. so diluted that nobody knew the original. And in fact, I would ask, hey, why do we do it this way? Well, because the manual says so. And um, then I'd say, well, show me in the manual where it says that. You know, well, it doesn't show it in the manual. Okay, well, then we don't have to do that. Um, so we always, as fire instructors, have to be careful with that. And that's, you know, I'm not picking on DOE there. I mean, it doesn't matter if whether you work for a big state program, a federal program, or an individual program. If you, when somebody asks you why, if you can't explain the why, then something's lost and you either have homework to do, or you need to look at uh, revamping that program because there's something missing there. Um, And we should never be afraid to answer the why. Uh, That's, that's part of what gets people to buy into Uh the techniques and tactics that we teach is they need to understand why it works and what the, not just the positives, but the negatives. Yeah, it works good, but you got to watch out for this. And so that was, it was a chore to kind of get them back on track. Um, And when I left, I think we had a a tremendous basic pistol class or firearms instructor certification class um, dialed in for them. Um, I don't know its status today. I still have some resources at DOE, but um, I've I've not followed it very closely. You know, that explaining the why to me, that's the difference between someone who actually knows what they're doing as a teacher versus someone who is just reading drills and, of course, a fire off of a clipboard and grading targets. Absolutely. And you know how important it is when you're coaching with somebody not to contradict them because it makes mm-hmm. everybody look bad. Um, and one time in my career, 
this, I, I heard this coach talking and, and all the words sounded right. And I turned around and watched and he was so wrong that when he walked away, I, I felt compelled to go to that student and say, ignore everything he just told you. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good instructor doing that. But I just, it was so wrong that I, I just had to, had to try to mitigate the, the damage. Um, but too often, particularly, and I get it, new instructors, they, they just parrot back what they hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage my instructors to ask me why. Um, even if you think, you know, or dig a little deeper, go a couple layers deeper, um, because it only makes you better. I mean, I was fortunate. So I grew up learning martial arts and, and as a young martial artist, you know, I I was between high school and college. And so every day at noon, I was sitting at the dojo and finally my instructor says, well, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm just hanging out, waiting for you to open the doors. And he says, well, how about I pay you to teach? And I hadn't really anticipated that. But it really forced me to learn the techniques because I had to teach them somebody else. Of course, we know, as I've learned more about being a firearms instructor, that that's the ultimate learning is teaching. And so it it gave me a head start on teaching those biomechanics as they relate to shooting and and not being afraid to ask the why. Um, Now, I'm not obnoxious about it. When I got the gun site and they said, do this, I didn't question them. I just did it. You know, you're the pros. I'm the student. I paid you. Uh Um, But eventually I needed to understand. And um, once again, good instructors out there took the time to explain to me and talk to me and and have a discussion. Even if we've disagreed on a topic or something like that, they they can be civil and agree to disagree. um, And we we both get better for it. Well, some of the best some of the best instruction mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's when the instructors are sitting together at the instructor's quarter talking about the day. Oh man, I've learned, yeah. I've probably learned more there than I ever have sitting on a range. Oh yeah. I, I helped Tom Givens with a lot of his classes and I spent a good bit of time with Dave Spalding and I learned more about the craft of teaching and the art of running a gun, sitting at a dinner table with them after a class or riding with them in the vehicle to or from a class that I actually do on the range. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, the students yeah. aren't the focus, right? When you're, when you're on the range, you're trying to focus on the students and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So now you get to focus on what they're saying you get to you know, challenge them, you know? Um, so you mentioned Dave, I've had the pleasure of, of taking a couple of classes. In fact, I blame Dave for the knee surgery. I just went through <laughs> because after I did his, the last class I did, I was, I was laid up on the couch. I couldn't hardly move. Um, but I love, I love kind of, you know, doing things in front of Dave, not, not being afraid. I mean, he's going to come over and give you the puppy dog and look at you sideways. Like that, that was interesting. Why'd you do that? You know, but he's not going to beat you up or chastise you. Uh, he'll have a discussion and he's happy to share Mm -hmm. his point of view and I'm happy to hear it. Um, I'm, I'm a wee bit sad that Dave decided to actually retire instead of just talk about it. Um, because he's, he's just got a lot. He's got a lot, but he's done a lot. So more power to him. Yeah. He just, we work all our lives so that we can retire and enjoy our family and spend time with our grandchildren. Well, he's at that point. Yep. And, yeah, and I, I, God bless him. I'm yeah. You yeah. Know, and it's the running the business that has tired him out. It's not the teaching. I suspect you'll still see him show up on ranges, teaching classes, but it's not going to yeah, be with the hustle or bustle of yeah. having to book students and run arrange classes and, and everything. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to watch out for him 
and and see so i can at least try to organize being in the area when he's going to do something like that but uh, he, kind, of, kind of a side note of, of not real particular interest but i got sure. i got kicked off facebook <laughs> I've, I've, I've made no effort to go back on and that was really the only place that i i had any track yeah. with him because i i was a member of of his uh, alumni site so i'll just have to reach out to him uh, uh, he he will be in the Colorado Springs area for a 40 hour class coming up in September, I believe. He's doing like if he if he wanted to do a gunsight 250, he's doing his what his 40 hour would be. I want to say it's Colorado Springs. Um, uh, none Colorado area. You well, know, none is way north. And that's where I suspect yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, way north of Springs. Near Greeley, um, somewhere in there. Yeah, so there's a, a really nice uh, place up there yeah. that um, we, Gunsight, we've done offsite classes up there. I know yeah. there's been, uh, Robbie Latham's done some classes up mm-hmm. there, a lot, a lot of guys, because it's yeah. a nice facility. So yeah. I'll reach out to him. I'll send him a note and ask him to hold me a spot. I, I actually have to look and uh, see what September looks like. Right now, I know it's not too full, but we'll, sure. we'll see how that goes. But I enjoy <laughs> I'm enjoying him as an instructor. Great guy. Yeah. Um, What from your experiences overseas teaching would you like to share? Well, it's real, right? Um, And so for a long time, I was a a, a competitive shooter, and I particularly liked the three-gun competition. Um, And I, I felt like I handled the difference between the two. And uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Brown at Mark Brown Custom, he said it the best. He said this to me probably 20 years ago. He says, competition is not tactics. It doesn't teach you tactics, but it will teach you to run the gun. Uh-huh. And and that's true. You know, if you want to learn to shoot it fast, load it fast, clear my functions fast, manage your gun, you got you to gotta go out and do some things that don't otherwise cause you to do that. But there's a different mindset, you know, the seriousness of being out preparing for a competition is different than preparing to protect myself or my assets. And so the, the mindset with which I approached things, of course, my gear setup was, was completely different. Um, I, I think it's a manageable thing. I, I there's been people I, I couldn't specifically quote who, but um, I've heard that people have said, Oh, if, you know, competition will get you killed. And, and I don't believe that in and of itself in a blanket statement like that. But if you train improperly, it can cause you or somebody else harm or damage. And I, I would agree with that. But to to blanket say that I think is incorrect. And to say, you know, to excuse poor performance, oh, I'm a tactical guy is the same thing. Well, you shot poor because you're a poor shot. <laughs> you know. Right. So um, we can't confuse the two. And that's probably... You know, I mean, I was a cop for a long time, so it's not like it was brand new. But when you're over there with in that environment, it's it's pretty definitive. You know, the patrol officer, you're you're driving around. There's a lot of good going on around you. A lot of good people. You know, um, you're looking for that anomaly, which is the bad thing. In Afghanistan, it was just the opposite. It was all kinds of bad, <laughs> all kinds of bad, and you're just hoping to see a ray of sunshine in there somewhere. You know, some. It was always great to see a little kid playing with a trucker or something like that, you know, but um, distinguishing those two was really driven home for me there. 
how hard was it or how difficult was it to work through an interpreter? Uh, you got to learn to do it like anything else. Um, and of course, the better the interpreter and, you know, mm -hmm. not all of your interpreters are really on your side, you know, and I'm going to exaggerate this, but, you know, I, I say, hey, what's the word for dog, right? And so they give you a word and then you say, well, tell them to stop petting the dog. And, and 30 words later, you're going, you didn't just say stop petting the dog. Well, for us, stop petting the dog is that but it doesn't translate exactly. Uh -huh. So he has to describe what petting the dog is first and then tell him to stop doing it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so once you recognize that, that, right. you know, that they don't have maybe a single word for, for a description of something, um, then it goes. And it's, it's the same thing. You know, what did he say? The guy maybe spent, you know, three or four minutes talking and the interpreter says, well, he doesn't like your shirt. He spent four minutes saying he doesn't like my shirt, you know. So it was it was a challenge, you know. And um, but we, you know, I had some really good interpreters. I mean, some really good guys. Um, and and this is easy for me to say, but I met some really great Afghans over there. Mm -hmm. People that I wouldn't hesitate to say, bring them to America, you know, because they're just good people. Um. But I met a lot of questionable ones as well, too. So, but, um, yeah. So, I, you know, I had to learn to, you know, some phrases in Pashto, some phrases in Dari. And I had to learn a little Spanish because some of our security forces were from Colombia and stuff like that. So you'd think I'd be multilingual, but I barely speak English well. So <laughs> the rest of that stuff goes right out the window. Yeah, I wonder, you know, what it would be like to try to teach because – being from the South, I use a lot of colloquialisms and the when some grandma saids and all that kind of stuff when teaching, how all that would translate over. It and, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes your interpreter looks at you and goes, I don't know how to tell him that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't get it. What are you trying to say? So, and so that's why an experienced interpreter is good because they've had a bunch of us knuckleheads. Right. that they've worked with before and they've kind of worked their way around through all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. I was talking with someone about that topic once and they were said, you know, I made movie references. And then finally I realized these people have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it's such a contradiction over there. They'll be just like poor. I mean, hard to close on them. We're about to fall off, but every one of them got a cell phone. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a real the whole place is completely contradictory. They've got this crazy sense of honor that is impressive. Um, at the same time, they'll steal right from you while you're watching and you know, think nothing of it. Hmm. Well, yeah. I'm glad I did it. I probably wouldn't do it again. You know. Oh, so here's a, an, an interesting We'll tie some of this stuff together. So at Gunsight, um, gosh, a lot of years ago, and I don't remember whose idea it was. It was brilliant, though. But we offered what we call vets classes. And we did them both pistol and carbine. And if you were a veteran of the current conflict, so, you, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq, you could sign up for these classes for free. 
we as instructors volunteered our instructor time. Gunsight donated the facilities. Heck, we even had ammo manufacturers donating ammo. All they had to do is show up. <clears throat> so while I was in Afghanistan at one of the outlying fobs um, near the Tora Bora's where bin Laden was hiding out, we had a group of Marines that were um, stationed with us. And we were coming into a week of refit where we had finished our last rotation of classes, refit for the next rotation. So I called Buzz Mills, the owner at Gunsight. And um, long story short, I said, Buzz, you know, we do vets classes. And also to back up one step, we were doing foreign weapons classes for the Marine Corps. I says, I'd like to do a free vets foreign weapons class for these Marines here in Afghanistan. And he didn't hesitate. He says, I think you should. So he sent challenge coins for all of them, sent us targets, sent us everything that I needed to support that class. And so we did a gun sight class, foreign weapons in Afghanistan for a group of Marines. Cool. Oh, it's, so I, I, oh, we took a big picture. I got it framed on my wall and, and actually I had two made, gave one to Buzz. So it's framed at Gunsight and, and mine. So that's probably without a doubt one of my, my most, you know, um, revered classes that I've ever done out there, you know, anywhere. I mean, that was, that was awesome to be able to do that for those guys. You know, that's one of the things you know, when you, when you teach private citizens, and they lead the class, they may or may not ever employ, you know, what you've taught them. And even with cops to a certain extent, you know, they may work a 20 year career and never actually have to use what you taught them. Yep. But in those settings, when those guys walk out the gate, they're going to be using what you taught. Oh them. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and they were, they were just awesome. Just awesome. Oh, that was yeah, particular highlight for me. And it, and it ties it all together. My time in Afghanistan, my time at Gunsight, mm -hmm. it was a nice, nice tie-in for me. All right. Well, now you work with USCCA. Tell everybody what you do with them. Right. U.S. Concealed Carry Association. So I'm a field training specialist. Um, I support our official partner program on the training side of our um, um, the house. So we have the mm -hmm promotions, the sales and stuff on one side that supports our official partners. Um, and then on the training side is the side that I work. So if we have an official partner, um, ABC gun range, you know, and they want to get instructors certified, they want to start using our curriculum, then I would go in and talk to them about what their plans are. Is it, is it going to fit what they're doing, what they want it to do? And if it all looks like a, a good fit, then I will go out and teach a instructor certification class and certify their whatever number of instructors in our curriculum. Mm -hmm. And then we'll help them um, advertise the curriculum, get it on our books. Um, they get to put it on our training site. And then from that point forward, I am um, a liaison. I am a consultant to them. So I continue to do instructor development programs for them. I go out and do some free classes for their instructors. I just check in on them. Hey, you know, we've got these promotions coming up. Are you interested in participating in a promotion? And we just try to help our partners be as successful um, as they can be. What in the US CCA instructor programs links up very well with say the modern technique? Well, all of the modern technique, it's interesting. We need, we need to circle back to that. 
modern technique versus weaver stance stuff. But, sure. um, you know, we're, we're teaching um, essentially the same grip on the handgun. Um, we're teaching the flash sight picture, which I'm a huge fan of flash sight picture. And all those fundamental skills, you know, um, people get too caught up in the, the title, basic, intermediate, advanced. Mm-hmm. And I personally have stopped using those. Um, And this really came from Louis Arbuck asked a question one time, somebody was talking about an advanced class and Louis said, what's an advanced gunfight? And um, I don't know if you knew Louis, but um, in his South African accent and his real dry, you know, he was hilarious. Um, The point he was trying to make is that these, you want to learn advanced skills. Well, advanced skills are just your fundamentals mastered. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're carrying those same concepts over. Um, we use a great deal of Colonel Cooper's color code when we talk about uh, situational awareness. How about let's avoid this fight and not get in it. Um, so I mean it's really hard to not give credit to uh, personal protection with handguns and stuff to Colonel Cooper and Gunsight. I mean to ignore it completely is you just have to go out of your way to do that now how much credit you want to give is, is up to you, but really I mean, he's known as the father of modern pistol craft for a reason. And it has gone a long way since he introduced it. But when you start tracing the roots back, you know, you're going to, you're going to find something that ties in there. And, and just because he started it in 1976 doesn't mean it's invalid today. Right. And so we, we have advanced at gunsight. We don't do, everything the way I first learned it at Gunsight, because that goes back to that key phrase that used the modern technique. Colonel Cooper said, we, we, we don't call it the Colonel Cooper technique because it's not about me. We call it the modern technique so that as we continue to learn, when we learn things that are better, we will continue to evolve and add these better things. We don't want to get stuck with something that's outdated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so my principle has always been that. And I've had some very, let's say spirited discussions with instructors at Gunsight over how we grip the gun, how we teach a variety of techniques and, and things like that, because I, I believe in the modern technique. I don't believe in the weaver stance. I don't believe in the isosceles stance. I don't believe in those things. I believe in, um, I call it a, a fighting stance, but it should be an athletic stance. There's nothing more athletic than trying to save your own life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have to think of it from those perspectives. And since we're right here on this topic, this is one of my pet thieves. You'll see me start to grip my teeth here a little <laughs> bit. But I've been around long enough to hear the, the isosceles versus weaver argument from lots and lots of people. Right. And, you know, I sat quiet as a little mouse early on. But as I learned, I, I became less quiet. And here's one of the things I discovered is that most of the isosceles shooters that are bad-mouthing weaver couldn't tell you how to do a proper weaver. And they've never been to Gunside or one of the other weaver schools. Mm-hmm. But I also found the reverse to be just as true. A lot of the weaver, including Gunside instructors, couldn't teach you what an isosceles stance is. And therefore, you're arguing against something that you don't know anything about. Right. I, t- I tell all the time, if you're going to be a professional instructor, I don't care which one you pick. If you fold down on one side or the other, I don't care, but you better know the other one. Mm-hmm. Dennis Tuller, you're familiar with Dennis Tuller, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, right. So 
I tell instructors, there's absolutely no reason for you to make a mistake when you talk about the Tuller drill and the concept, because there's at least three videos that I'm aware of on YouTube right now of Dennis himself explaining it. So as a professional instructor, how can you get that wrong? Mm -hmm. Okay, so pick a side. I don't care. Weaver isosceles. Okay, promote it. Stand behind it. Shot it from the rooftops. But you better know the other one. Otherwise, you're not a professional instructor. Okay, like I said, I don't care which one you pick. Doesn't matter to me. Okay, but make sure you're a yo-yo. <laughs> I mean, the, these. <laughs> I get. I've had so many great discussions when you know. What are you doing? I'm shooting Weaver. No, you're not. And they they just kind of look at me. Not Weaver. The the Weaver has never been a bladed stance. Nope. Okay. The, I, I I still dream it at night. Okay. Colonel Cooper and his range masters. All right, toe the line. We had these cables. Mm -hmm. He wanted both your toes on that cable, not bladed. Both your toes on the cable. He wanted you square to the target. Okay. And the elbow position got to be, because once again, people didn't understand it, it got to be a real point of contention to the point where Colonel Cooper in his later years wrote a paragraph that basically said, it's not important. I wish people would quit arguing about it. You know, but they, they want to pick these preconceptions about Colonel Cooper. He, you know, so here's Colonel Cooper, 45 guy, right? No argument there. But we're sitting at one of the shoot houses waiting for him. He's going to pick us up and give us a ride to the next shoot house. And we're talking about different brands of guns and stuff. And he says, you know, a 22 long rifle will do just fine. And I went, what? And he says, yeah, if you'll put it right here. And he pointed at his tear duct. And so it's about perspective. It's about context. Mm -hmm. You know, he never, ever, I never, ever heard him badmouth a nine millimeter. Now he may have, mm -hmm. but I never heard him. He always said you should shoot the most powerful handgun you can shoot well. And if that means it's only a nine millimeter, then that's what you shoot. Now, we as instructors had great fun with the nine versus 45. I mm -hmm. still do. I still stir that pot just to watch people's heads explode. Right. Um, where it's, it's not a worthy discussion anymore, really. Um, but before you badmouth Weaver, before you badmouth isosceles, learn it. Uh, you may find you don't have as much to badmouth as you thought. You are the third person who trained directly under Colonel Cooper who has specifically said that about it's not about the elbow position. It's not about you know, the, the bladed stance, everything. The bladed stance, folks, actually came in from a law enforcement agency teaching that because it matched up with, yeah, other, with other things they were teaching. Yeah. And they incorporated that whole position. And that grew. And it's like the whole thing of when you're Xerox in a copy. And making a copy of a copy of it. And like <laughs> yeah. he went to with, with yeah. the Department of Energy. Yeah. Three Nobody generations down, it. you know, three yeah. or four generations down the line. You know, well, we're I, not telling the same thing that we'd said. You know, Larry Mudgett said that about Weaver. Weaver is just isometric tension. And he referred to Colonel Cooper and Mr. Weaver as Jeff and Jack on a first name basis. You know, <laughs> and I've heard Jerry McCallum say it the exact same way. Yeah. It's it, Weaver's just isometric tension. It's not well, about elbow when, position. When you think about where it came from, Jack Weaver, and the context of which it came from, the leather slap combat, uh, competitions, there's three things that happen, right? He put two hands on the gun. He brought the sights to eye level, 
and it created some isometric tension to help control the recoil. Uh That's the essence. Okay. And if you got to boil it down, it really is the the isometric tension, but you can't not mention the other two, because at the time he was the first one to go intentionally go two ends on the gun, intentionally bring the sights up so he could use them and create that. So that's, that's the weaver stance. doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what the rest of that stuff is. Um, And we get that, we get that argument because people don't know. And, but they think they do and they will swear up and down to the death that they do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just look at them and go, nope, you're wrong. I I put out a statement today through my Instagram and Facebook about red dot sites. And I said, I can give you higher scores with a red dot site. Well, I call it pistol mounted optic, but I'm not certain that I can fight better with one. And, Okay, I use the pronoun I. That's referring right back to me, this guy. That's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. But it's been amazing how people have told me that I'm wrong about me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to remember that, Lee. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I despise onions. There's nothing anybody's going to ever be able to tell me. Oh, you don't. Prove, you know you like them red ones. Or prove to me that I like onion, you know, and, it's, and pickles. I warn waitresses that if you bring my tray to the table and it's got a pickle on it, I will flip the table over. Oh, you and me. You know, and there's nothing you can say or do to convince oh, me that I man. like pickles or onions. Yeah. All right. But I'm not trying to tell you that you Mm-mm. don't have to like them. No, and it's a great conversation to have. You can, you know, yeah. you can say, hey, here's, here's my thoughts on it. Here's why. But here's the problem. So one of the things I learned working for the USCCA is most of the time people listen to respond. Okay? Mm-hmm. They're, they're preparing their response before you finish what you have to say. They're not listening yep. to hear what you have to say because the moment you put it in context of I, then how do you argue with that? Right. Okay? I might say something like, well, Lee, what makes you feel that way? What, you know, and then as an instructor, I might go, well, look, I think I can help you with that or uh, you know, whatever, but I can't just tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Right. That's interesting. interesting. And for me, it's all right on a square range drill where I get to do everything perfectly. I can give you a better score on the dot. But when we get into the unconventional stuff that you may have to do with the fight, I'm still not to a point with the dot that I get the dot every time, but I can aim with those sights. I think Lee, you and I have been doing this so long. Yeah. I, I, it's not a, really a fair comparison. If you take some of the new people that don't have the history with the sites right. that we have, right. it may turn out to be true for them that they advance faster. Mm-hmm. For yeah. me, the, the, right. you know, I'm, I haven't come to a conclusion because I'm kind of like you. I, mm-hmm. I don't hit it uh, enough to be satisfied, but you know, look at how many times we brought that gun up and looked for those sites. Right. You know, so that's, that's a lot of overtraining that we have to do. And no matter how much, I do the tape on the front of the optic to get the, the obscured thing and my focus still shifts when I present that gun out. I feel my eye muscles contracting as I do it. Yeah. Well, I still use the dot like a front sight. Yeah. You know, so you're not supposed to, right. You're supposed to look past it, target focus. I don't. So even when I'm using a dot, I'm using it wrong. (laughs) Right. And well, even with iron sights, I still used, I didn't necessarily have a hard sight focus unless I front sight focus, unless I needed to for the shot I had to make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, well if, it's, if it's inside 10 yards and it's a relatively, 
you know, full value target. I just got to get the orange on my front sight blurry in right. the center somewhere. That's right. Got to see it somewhere and then press trigger. Repeat as long necessary. as you don't, and as long as you don't move the gun when you press the trigger, right. the shot's going to be there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It doesn't mean I have to be perfectly lined up and, and, and hard focused in on that front sight to get that. Oh, but Level of precision. And, you know, one of the responses was I wanted to compare it to rifle. Well, rifle and pistol are not the same thing. The rifle, I bring it up to my, touches my cheek, <laughs> you know, bring it up till it touches my cheek. And, okay, there's the sight right there in front of yeah. my face. Yeah. You don't get that point of index with the pistol. But yeah. enough about it. I've just been amused by that all day today. Oh, that's a good. Uh, one. Uh, speaking of that. rifle, speaking of rifle, USCCA has an AR curriculum coming out. Yes, yeah, so I'm very excited about it. Um, it's not going to jazz a lot of people up. It's, it, it would be what I would describe as a good core AR program. Um, we've been working on it here. I was back at headquarters last month. Um, they just finished one last week. I'll be out there next month, uh, kind of rounding the edges off on it. Um, and it'll, it'll be a great introductory course. And of course, we're seeing so many people that are buying them today. Um, and and we, mm-hmm. me particularly, harped on context you know, what is Susie Homemaker? What is she going to use this for? Right. So we're not going to shoot them out to 300 yards. Yeah, we know they're capable and all that, but we're going to keep uh-huh. it in the context. Um, for lack of better descriptions, distance-wise, think of home defense, those kind right. of distances. Because it's it gets very hard, in, in my professional opinion, to articulate a justifiable use of force out at 20, 25, 50 yards. All right. Um, and so we, we have to um, remember that that's what this is all about. It's not just how well you can shoot and how far you can shoot is, but can you shoot legally and justifiably? Right. Yeah. So it's going to be a good program. Um, look for it. Um, I say August. Um, okay. We should officially announce that that program. Outstanding. Outstanding. Anything that you would like to talk about that I did not ask you about? Um, so just a little piece of trivia for you, um, and it should have fallen in things we already talked about, but when we talked about, I got my letter from Colonel Cooper inviting me on staff. Um, I was the last instructor he hired. Cool. Oh, wow. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody else underneath me was hired by somebody else. Okay. So, well, yeah, I still got the letter framed, you know, all that kind of cool stuff. So that, is, still, a, that is an interesting point. Yeah. It is still, you know, we tell people, well, I, I've gone realistically bucket list, right? You know, people ask me, hey, where should I go train? Well, of course you should go train at Gunsight. Mm-hmm. However, I'll tell you a couple things. I would have added Dave yeah. because of all of his, I'm retiring, I'm retiring, I'm retiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint Smith has had a couple of surgeries. I, I don't have any secret that his health is poor or anything right. like that, but he too has been doing this a long time. So if you mm-hmm. um, have thought about going to take a, a class at Thunder Ranch from Clint, I'd move that up on my bucket list. Um, it was somebody else. It's the same kind of situation. Oh, Bill Rogers. Uh, once again, I don't know that Bill has any health issues, but he's been, been doing it a long time. And if you want to go actually hear Bill teach and stuff, I'd go out to Rogers shooting school and, mm-hmm. and get that off my bucket list. You know, you want to come train with Steve at Gunside, you know, short of getting hit by a bus. I'm going to be around a long time. Mm-hmm. God bless you. Come take a class. But um, some of these, some of these legends, um, I think you need to look around and identify who they are and 
go get a class from them. Well, yeah. My mentor, Tom Givens, is 70. Masada Yub's in his 70s. John Farnham's in his 70s. Right. Right. All names right there at the, at the top, you know, not having had discussions with those guys, you know, I don't know what their inclination is. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Dave, he, right. you know, I, I used to tell people, go, go see Dave, go see Dave. Right. Now I tell them, well, look for him if you can. <laughs> well, it's funny. You mentioned Rogers. And then when the gun side thing, I met Ken Campbell when we were both in a class at Rogers together. Oh, is that right? Yeah. He That's and Jay, Jay Tuttle and oh gosh, She's going to get on me for name. Oh, gosh. She's not an instructor there now. She's the uh, doctor in the area out there. Doctor. I'm getting to that age that I can't remember oh, people's oh. names. And then there was another well, one of Ken's deputies. And um, I'll think of her name as soon as I, I hit the stop button. Tonight. Yeah, yeah. But there were four yeah. gun site students at the Rogers class. Yeah. Leslie. Leslie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I should have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there were four gun site students in the Rogers class, and okay, go back to what you were saying about you need to learn the other stance. All right. And Bill Rogers's book, he's not exactly friendly to the Weaver and Colonel Cooper. And when I go train, I I go out of my way to not. I don't wear any of my gun site stuff. I don't Mm -hmm. mention gun site because I'm not there to draw attention to myself. I'm there to learn. Invariably, somebody will find out, and it'll you know, right. go through the class, but that, that's not what it's about. And so yeah. I got to hear Bill directly say some yeah. things. <laughs> well, you know, I was in, he, he does that Sunday night lecture and it got a little sporty yeah. some the, during some of the lecture part, but on the range, all four of those gun sight guys. And there was a multiple time, like 250 graduate as a student in the class as well, actually several 250 graduates in the class. And they all shot what the school was teaching because why would you go pay all that money? Right to a school right. and then not do what the school. Yeah. That's a great teaching. question. We see people do it all the time, but yeah. they ain't going to be me because right. <laughs> these, these classes, these shooting schools are not getting cheaper. You know, as Tom Givens says, if you wanted to come pay me money to teach me, to show me everything that, you know, well, just send a video along with a check and save yourself <laughs> all the travel. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. Yeah. I'll give him credit for it, but I'm going to steal it. <laughs> you know, he, he mentioned, um, Mr. Auerbach, I discovered the open enrollment training circuit in 2014 is when I first you know, jumped into those waters and I'm finding names and reading books and everything. Well, someone said, you should look into Louis Auerbach. Well, I was reading hit or myth when he died. Oh my. And so, so I never got a chance to experience that. Uh, the other Rogers, Mr. Pat, Rogers, I never Pat. got a chance to experience Pat Rogers. So Pat, uh, Pat is, you know, I, I just have to laugh. Pat is just Pat to me. You know, I met him at Gunsight in the 499 class, mm-hmm. but he's just Pat to me. And uh-huh. I'm not trying to take away from him. He was a fabulous instructor, but people start talking about him like he, you know, walks on clouds. And I go, oh, that's just Pat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we had so much fun together. Uh, that's a guy I miss. I mean, uh-huh. he was, he was something else. I mean, I never actually took one of his classes. Um, I coached with him and, and worked with him and stuff like that, but um, I never got to be a student. Um, and that's, you know, I'll regret that. You yeah. know, that's, you know, that's just is what it is, but yeah, Manny, if you, if you haven't started your bucket list, because, you know, Pat's a great example, Louis, a great uh-huh. example, you know, you're not promised uh-huh. tomorrow. That's right. Nope. 
That's right. Uh, the closest I'll get to that is reading Louis's books and watching his videos and Pat Rogers' videos. And yeah, I can get into get into those, yeah. but I, I can never get that time on the range with them and, and yeah. picking up the knowledge. Can't can't but, ask uh, that question. Yeah, uh, Randy Kane is the guy on my bucket list that I'm trying to get to, and just never can get the schedules to line up. So Randy was working with me out at Gunsight um, when he first came on, and I only got to work a couple of classes with him. Um, which is it's not crazy. I mean, we've got so many instructors and you know, mm-hmm. you gotta have the time and everything. But um I have not heard from Randy in, in quite a while. I, I it seems to me I got a text message or something from him a while back. I should reach out to him and just check on him. But yeah, I would encourage you to go see Randy. Yeah. We we live three hours apart, but he teaches most of his classes at a range that's eight hours away. Mm-hmm. And it just never works out. Yeah. You know, for the schedules to line up to take the class. And it's just one of these things that's going to have to make happen. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, go- I, I was going over some uh, emails and stuff and I it was just kind of a fluke, but your name popped up and it's the guys at the bulwarks. Okay. Yeah. So I guess uh, this is text has got to be a couple years old. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure why it popped up in the stream I was looking at. Sure. Um, but apparently you were, were either going or negotiating to go do a class for them out there. Mm-hmm. Those are another great group of guys, young yeah. guys that are mm-hmm. um, developing, um, got some great potential for, well, for everybody, because yeah. I think they're going to be a very solid group out there. Yeah, they are direct protégés of Mr. Jim Higginbotham. Yeah. And I've never yeah. gotten a chance to take a class from Jim, but I've gotten a chance to converse with him a lot. Oh, good. And, and pick his brain. Just, just a super fine human being. Uh, the Bulwarks people hosted me, and then I arranged for them to get a range here in Georgia. So we did a, did a swap. Right. And yeah. um, perfect. And good guys. Good yeah. guys. It, it, if Jim Higginbotham likes them, then they got to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they both came through uh, students in my class and kind of quiet and and mm-hmm. stuff. But man, what what great students they were. You know. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I had a group, we call them Team Kansas. They're a bunch of guys from Kansas that hired me to come out because they wanted me to, they're multiple, multiple gunsight graduates, but they wanted mm-hmm. to do something different. So they said, Steve, what, you know, can you do something? I said, absolutely. Well, we ended up with a vacancy. And so I got to thinking about it. I thought, man, I'll, I'll reach out to those Bulwarks guys and see if one of those guys can attend, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sure enough, Jesse made it out, fit in with the group perfectly. You know, I mean, he's he's kind of a lone flower out there amongst all those guys, but they made him feel right at home and, and it worked out well. So yeah, I was, I was happy to have him. Um, Maybe someday I'll get to do some more for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I'm, I'm going to get to gunsight for a 250 at some point in time, and it's just going to be a hard time because I've had a number of the range masters on the show. It's like, okay, which one's class do I go to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write, I'm gonna have to write Ken a, a, a Dear Ken letter. Dear Ken, please have yeah, these okay. seven guys. Can we, can we get all I, these guys on the range? We're going to show up for this class. So that, that's uh, going to be a hard, a hard choice to make. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, oh. Well, sir, I have thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. And I thank you for coming on and spending your time with us tonight. Well, I really appreciate it, and um, I was surprised when when Freddie reached out. And um, sure, pleasure to, to meet you. I mean, I've heard your name mm-hmm. around, so an opportunity to visit with you and and share. And 
um, you know, if anything comes up in the future, you got some questions about, or mm -hmm. you just want to chew the fat, then all you got to do is holler at me. Well, thank you. And the same to you, sir. Same to you. And to the audience, uh, we remind you that Facebook, we now have a That Weems Guy Show group that you can get on and discuss episodes and anything else related to training. And just as I'm thanking Steve for his time tonight, I know that your time is valuable to you. So thank you for choosing to spend your time with us.